Hi, all, and welcome back to Dame It All the Hell. I'm Kelly Gibson, and my uh, voice might sound a little different because I'm recording this podcast at 7 in the morning from a hotel room in Reno, Nevada. So tis the season for elections, but I'd rather be hanging out with Tracy Deeds at 7 in the morning than not at all. So I'm glad to be here. I wish you were with me in the studio, too. It's, you know, 10 a.m. here, which is why we're not going to be doing a wine tasting today. So... <laughs> I'm Tracy <Weak>. Deeds. Thanks. <laughs> we're we're tired. It's hard. Um, today's going to be a pretty awesome episode. I am a little bummed that Kelly is not here because we're going to be talking about uh, some very controversial things. Serena Williams and the CBS executive. And uh, yeah, so it should be a good show. We hope you all enjoy it. So yeah, that if 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 you haven't heard about the scandal or whatever we're calling it with Serena Williams, then you've once again been living under a rock. But over the weekend was the women's finals. Well, all the finals for the U.S. Open, but the women's finals and Serena Williams played Naomi Osaka. And it was it was a good match for tennis, although Naomi was really outplaying Serena for a lot of the match. But but then there was this like series of penalties that the umpire, an umpire named Ramos gave Serena for a bunch of different things that sort of escalated into this scene that Serena had with the umpire and then she called out the referees and she was claiming that she was being overly penalized based on her gender. And then like sort of the drama continued all the way to the the trophy ceremony and the whole stadium booed when the trophies came out. And I, I thought Serena showed a lot of class in that process and, and tried to take it back and, and give, um, give the credit to Naomi and all that kind of stuff. But I think the interesting The interesting question is, and there's been a lot of written about, and Tracy can sort of go through that, is what was she penalized harder because she was a woman? There was she got a she got a penalty for being coached from the sidelines. She got a penalty for breaking a racket, and then she got a fine, I think, for calling the umpire a thief. I don't know how that's categorized, mouthing off to the umpire. And as this has sort of been um, dissected on the internet, there are like a bazillion examples of male tennis players doing far worse of all of those categories. And at the, actually at the end of the, at the end of the match, the, the, um, coach who was doing the coaching with sidelines and he's been doing, he's doing, doing this for 25 years, men players and women players, and he's never gotten penalized for it. So there's like a lot of, a lot of that smells fishy to me. So here's, here's my problem with all of this. So Carlos Ramos, the umpire, is known for being a stickler for the rules. So when you compare his behavior to Serena to what he's done to other male tennis players, they're not that different. That said, there were a couple of things that I saw earlier this morning where he didn't penalize a male player for calling him a son of a bitch. But to clarify, like, that was the third of the third violation that Serena was facing and she had been berating him for 25 minutes and we can argue as to whether or not that's okay or you know what the rules should be or how the greatest athlete of all time should behave in the middle of a tennis match but we won't get into that yet he 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 is a stickler for the rules and has treated men the same way. My issue with Serena, which I find very frustrating because I do believe that she is the greatest athlete of all time. When he called her out, when he called the coach, gave her the first violation from the coach, she's like, I have never cheated. I do not do that. I never received coaching. But then at the end of the match, the coach said, 
We always coach. We do it all the time. It's just something we all do and nobody ever gets caught. So out of the gate, she was already not being very honest about what was happening. <laughs> so I struggle well, with that, that a little bit. I, I think that it, the way I understood it, first of all, I, you just pulled a Kelly by saying she was berating him for 25 minutes. I mean, I was watching the match. She was not berating him for 25 minutes. I think maybe 25 minutes went on when she called out the referees when she realized she couldn't get anywhere with the umpire. Right. So, but, my, but no, but no, not she did not berate him for a straight 25 minutes. There was match play in between it. But every time they changed the court, she said something to him. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there is, I think that goes into a larger conversation. I mean, this is by all accounts and standards, one of the most intense athletic events for a tennis player. And the idea that you're, that what it takes for her to get into gameplay and get her game face on and get aggressive to win that thing doesn't also account with intense sensitivities to the way calls are, um, plays are called that. I think that is an, un, an unrealistic expectation. And as you watch through previous U.S. finals, U.S. Open finals between men and women, everybody's fucking prickly. So I think that that is, if you, if you're too sensitive to take it as an umpire, maybe you're in the wrong business. And also if, how can one empire in this giant association be a stickler for the rules, but another not, I mean, that is a real, but that's, that's a, great a real problem. shitty thing. Yeah. It's a real shitty thing. Cause that's a, that's another argument. And, and there is a, do I think that tennis players should be penalized for breaking the rackets? Fuck no. I played tennis. You want to break your racket, break your fucking racket. Like, I get that. If I had ever done that in a tennis match, though, I would have been punished by my coach. And by punished, I probably would have had to run four miles or something at the next practice. Like, we just were not allowed to behave that way. We were not allowed to swear on the court. There were just certain things that we were not uh, we were not allowed to do because they were unsportsmanlike. Well, yeah, you're right. That is a bigger question. I think that's all a whole bunch of bullshit. I mean, if you're going to be like, if you're going to invest your whole self into that game, but you can't, you know, you can't, it, no, you don't get a little bit of leash for responding with emotion. That's, that's unrealistic. But the but thing there's about a the, lot of that, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the thing about the coach. So he, the way I heard it was she she was in fact not paying not paying attention to his coaching from the sideline in that match. I mean, I think that's what she was saying that like, she was like, I was just playing my game. I wasn't looking, I wasn't paying any attention. I didn't know he was doing it, whether or not he just always does it. And whether or not they agreed to that beforehand, I don't, I don't think that came to light, but I don't, I don't necessarily think she was just lying about that. Yeah. I mean, maybe she wasn't, maybe she didn't see him, but it, it is interesting to me that he was so quickly to be like, yes, I was coaching. Yes, we do it all the time. Yes, we do that through entire matches at every tournament and at every game. All coaches do it. And if if that's the case and most umpires aren't going to call that, then they need to figure out and change the rules. I mean, it seems like a moderately stupid rule to me. But again, those were the rules. He broke the rule. He... The umpire thought that she was receiving coaching, and he gave her a warning for it. Yeah. So yeah, she I got a warning the first time, and then she broke her racket, which I guess would technically be a warning, except this was the second violation he had given, which is why he took a point away. And then she completely lost it, which, I mean, I I get it, but... I, I loved it. I, I loved it. I feel like this was this insane 
moment in time, two women of color playing in the finals of the US o- the US Open, losing a whole po- a point is like a pretty se- sizable penalty. And and I think she realized quickly that it was going to mean that she was going to lose this thing. And and the the warning being for something that she didn't believe she was engaging in. So I think, you know, I think that a lot of women in different arenas bite their tongue when they're feeling like things are not going their way and it's not fair. And she was like, fuck it. I'm just going to speak my mind. I'm on my home turf. Uh, This is ridiculous. Like she said, men have gotten penalized for far less. And I understand you're splitting hairs about Ramos, but I think that this was a time for, for people to realize that, that it's bullshit, that there needs to be some thoughtfulness about how genders are, are, are expected to act in the same arena. But her losing it on the umpire probably put her in a very different headspace. So him taking a point from her did not mean that the match was over. Him taking a game, yes, that probably had a huge impact on it. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's, Sorry, that's what I meant. The game one. Right. Yeah. I mean, if she had if she had gotten in a better headspace after she broke the racket, like she could have potentially come back and and won that that match and her losing it in that way. I I don't know that that actually helps us. Her screaming about sexism. How does it hurt us? How does it hurt us? The same way we talk about how. Well, I. I think like if we is- scream sexism every time something doesn't go our way, and I'm not saying that this, well, you know what, I don't know that this actually was sexism, but if we scream sexism every time something doesn't go our way, it's like the girl who qu- cried wolf, like nobody's going to listen to us anymore. This is the first time that anybody has ever done this in a final of a major Grand Slam tennis tournament. Like, is it? This- so no woman has ever gotten pissed off and screamed at an umpire? About sexism? I don't think so. I mean, no, about anything. No, but I'm about saying anything. you're you're calling out that if a woman cries sexism, and you don't believe this was, but I believe full heartedly to the bottoms of my feet it was. And I think it's. I think, and this is going to make you really uncomfortable. I think it's even more because she is black and she is loud and she was in a tutu and she rubs everyone the wrong way, but she's unwilling to fit into a box. That that is that that definitely came into play. I don't think that people that run these tournaments, we and you weren't with us in the studio, but clearly the French Open, they didn't like that she was in a bodysuit that was helping her circulation. And then she sort of gave them all a big fuck you by wearing the tutu and all that sort of stuff. I don't think anyone likes that. And I do think that they're probably more likely to be hard on her as a result of it. And you think it's because she's a woman, not because they don't like her? I or think you don't think there's a difference? No, I think, I think that they that they, and I, I don't love using words like that. I don't really know how to characterize it. People that believe in sort of the traditional um, manners and protocol of the game don't prefer an outspoken black woman who's sort of wanting to make change and pushing their limits. I think that, I think that, that you're right. They probably don't like her, but I think a lot of it has to do with it is because she's an outspoken black woman. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, do, I, I just, I mean, she's won 57 Grand Slam titles. I mean, she, she didn't get there by people not liking her, right? Like, I think she got there I, in, in spite of not being liked. I don't think I that's mean, true. Everybody loves Serena Williams, the, right? The, like, the fans do, the fans do, but it seems like every time she goes to a tournament, there's some 
at, at least in in recent history, there's there's something that that people have to say about her. I mean, people have. Had but there's something only been to say two. There was them. the cat suit, and then there was this one. Well, recently, but and I should have done better homework. But I think that there has been conversation about choices that she makes by organizers of tournaments for many years. A lot of it having to do with clothing, but um, and like there, I think there was something about the way she was. Well, she wore color went into the one when that you're always supposed to wear white. And I mean, I think she pushes, I think she pushes boundaries, which in turn pushes buttons. And it's, right, but push boundaries you know, or break rules. So like if you're supposed to wear white at this certain tournament, then you wear white at the tournament. Says who? Like, I guess that's <laughs> the tournament <laughs> organizer. Right. Like, but like when, when you she... go out and play golf, you have to wear certain things on the golf course. You're only allowed to wear certain things. Right, Which is like if those changing. Are... ladies, ladies' golf skirts are way shorter now than they were when I was growing up playing golf. No, oh, I don't usually wear a skirt; I wear shorts. But whatever, and I and I usually, quite frankly, wear whatever the fuck I want because typically the rules are more lax for women on a golf course. But anyway, I mean, if is she pushing boundaries or breaking rules? And 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 is it good to just break rules for the sake of breaking rules? I mean, I don't think she's doing it for the sake of breaking rules. I think she's well, doing it for but, the sake of carving out space that a woman like her can occupy. By not that, by wearing a color and not wearing white? I, no, by so that by saying, that seems weird to me. Yes. So what I, I don't think we have to go into like a specific example that I don't even have the details about, but I think what I was trying to say was that she has a long history of not conforming. And people don't generally speaking People that are involved in traditional activities don't prefer nonconformists. And especially in this case, talk about, I mean, when Naomi Osaka received her trophy and said, I'm sorry, I know everybody wanted Serena to win. Like, they're, that that's heartbreaking. Made me, that made me cry. Like, that woman should be saying, well, that was crazy. But look, at, I mean, I just won my first Grand Slam. And, and Serena was the one that sort of did her best to lift her up in that moment, even after all that. So she clearly is capable of getting back into a good headspace. I think she, yeah. honest, honest to goodness, felt like she was being treated more, she was being treated more harshly and unfairly in that match. Yeah. So nobody likes Carlos Ramos. For the for everything I've read, nobody has found that guy to be, uh, they don't like him because he's a stickler for the rules. So either they're going to have rules with the USTA that people should follow or they're not. And so that's my bigger issue with all of this. Either have rules or don't have rules, you know, have violations or don't have violations. I mean, do we really even need umpires anymore in a tennis match? I mean, all of the line calls are electronic. Yeah. You know, I mean, what do you, what do you need? What do you need an umpire for really? And I guess the other part of that, that I, that I think of is if the, if the game of tennis wants to evolve as other athletics are evolving and have the kind of support and followers that the, the, the Williams sisters have sort of cr- created. And, you know, I mean, Naomi talks about that Serena is her idol. And when she was young, you know, Serena was the one that she looked up to in the game. I mean, if, which seems awesome, you know, more women, more women of color, strength, interesting things happening in the game than, that's something they're going to have to work on supporting instead of creating controversy around. Yeah. I mean, she definitely has brought some attention to the sport. And it'll be interesting to see what where they go from here. I mean, there are a lot of people now that are refusing to use 
Carlos Ramos is their umpire. Uh, oh, that's awesome. For him, and they're asking for him to step down. But USTA is backing him. They said he just followed the rules. He was following protocol. I mean, so. what are they are they drawing attention to umps that don't follow the rules? Then are they are whoever like is anyone saying? Well, then you better fire all the umpires that let this slide for other people. If this is the first penalty ever get, given for coaching from the sidelines, I mean that that's kind of fucked up. That's right. crazy. They're not saying that. I mean, I think there has been some question about whether or not they need umpires. I mean, there was a lot of on the on the sports talk shows. They've talked a lot about why the hell do they even have umps anymore? It's completely pointless when everything is done with a computer. And and the umps are talking about unionizing. <laughs> and I can't remember. I think it was Stephen A. Schmidt that was basically like, "Go ahead, because your jobs can be replaced by a computer." So yeah. you guys, you guys unionize and. And, and do well with that. So anyway, just in closing, I feel like I, um, I, I felt lucky to be, I don't watch all the turn, tennis tournaments and my mom was visiting and we were watching it with the kids. And I felt like I felt, uh, lucky to be experiencing it. I think it really like jolted and caused conversation for people. I, and I can't wait to see what ad campaign Serena Williams cooks up as a result of it. The ads are going to be fucking fierce. I mean, I so I like Serena Williams, and I love. Uh, we probably won't, we won't get into the Nike ad, but you know, I loved the way they portrayed her in the Nike ad, and the fact that they called her the greatest athlete of all time. I mean, I like her. I want her to do well, and I want her to be successful. And I think that's why I have some frustration with her completely losing her shit and not keeping it together because she probably could have won that match. But I, maybe it will all be better. Maybe this is what needed to happen. So I say cheers to her losing her shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. All right. Speaking of someone that's probably going to fucking lose their shit right now, we're going to talk about the CVS executive. Lose all their shit, like their home and their car, their mattress. Well, I'm I'm not going to lose my car over this, but this guy. So so the CEO of CBS uh, was brought down by sexual misconduct allegations. And I say brought down. That's a very dumb term. I mean, just don't sexually assault or harass women and you don't have to worry about things. So he resigned and CBS gave him $120 million in severance and probably had a nice little going away party for him, which I think is fucking ridiculous. Like years and years of abuse and that's it. Here's $120 million. Yeah. There's like so many elements to this. So he only like quote unquote resigned when, so the New Yorker magazine has done two exposés on him. And so they did like the first expose a while ago and he sort of went into hiding at CBS and went into negotiations with the attorneys to talk about the severance package and all that kind of stuff. And then more women, when that sort of, when word got out about that, more women went to that same reporter at New Yorker magazine and another expose, six more people came out with like harrowing stories, stories of forced oral sex. He was like pushing people and, you know, pinning people against wall, women against walls and all this kind of stuff. And so only after the second article did he resign. And still he's got this, this sort of ironclad, this sort of ironclad contract. Now, CBS is saying that they're not going to pay him. And, and I don't exactly know legally how that, how that happens. If you, like, if there are no out clauses in the contract, there, there must be like 
criminal charges. So those same women also went to the police to investigate it, although statute of limitations means that no charges can be brought. But the police in wherever, where in like the in California or whatever, basically said that there was reason to believe all the allegations were true. I mean, I guess that's the farthest they can push it when statute of limitations is up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what what is in his contract, and, and it it doesn't shock me that as a big CBS executive, you would have a severance package. But I would think a severance package package would be limited to when if you are terminated, then you get a severance package, not when you have to resign for or and you are resigning for cause. I mean, I guess he wasn't fired for cause. But resigning for cause, like, I feel like that should all be null and void. Like, I don't feel like you get paid out when you are a shitty human being. Yeah. And that's contracts are contracts. So. And then, like, they're going to, CBS is going to donate, like, $20 million to the Me Too Foundation or whatever it is. But it's like, we've been doing this this podcast for, what, almost a year, Tracy? Mm-hmm. And yeah. we, we started doing it because of Harvey Weinstein, right? Which was the beginning of the Me Too moment. And I remember at the beginning, Tracy used to say, like, there's, there's going to be no other option than women running everything because men are just falling. They're just all going to bite the dust because they're all terrible. And this is like almost a year later, and this is just coming out now. Don't you find it, like, don't you find it weird that if these assaults has been happening over a really long time and it's it's just not it never came to the surface until almost a year after Harvey Weinstein. I mean, I think it's very slow moving. I mean, it's still I think women are still uncomfortable. I think it's still hard. I think it's when you're dealing with someone in that position of power, you don't know what's going to happen, right? Like I think it took a while for the Matt Lauer stuff to come out. So, I think the bigger and more powerful the man, the harder it is to say something. I mean, I mean, how many I, people do you know that still don't say stuff? Well, I mean, right? I guess, I guess that, I guess is it that maybe there wasn't that the the women that were assaulted by him thought that they were the only ones or something, you know, that there wasn't power in numbers at CBS until right. the articles were written. But you know, I I just wonder if he and I didn't I don't know if you read anything about it. I didn't see anything if he had has assaulted anyone in the last year, like since this started. Since Me Too thing started, wouldn't that be terrible? That I haven't seen. But, I mean, of course he probably has. I mean, why wouldn't he have? I mean, I had a guy at a conference last week at 9 o'clock in the morning while I was looking at pastries ask me if I was wearing a bra. It's fucking year later. Like crazy. Like, who fucking asked that question? And I say at 9 o'clock in the morning because... I know the rules are different at a bar at 10 o'clock at night when people have had alcohol. They shouldn't be, but they are. So I didn't say anything. I mean, I just looked at him like, are you, what is wrong with you? Fucking for real? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I can't tell if like in the last year, if I have gotten sort of less of the bullshit because I present myself with more confidence these days. Like I think I come into a space with like a don't fuck with me sort of vibe that I'd never really gave off before I started this podcast and before and that's I had awesome. more confidence in my work. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you certainly still get the, you're pretty kind of thing, but which is, you know, you're just like, keep that's it to yourself, but it's, it's not, not offensive. Right. Yeah. Right. So 
I guess that's a good thing between some change and women just walking through the world with, uh, you know, a don't fuck with me kind of vibe. I think that, you know, right. changes are coming, hopefully. Hashtag Good. fuck you always. Hashtag fuck you always. It's been a while. <laughs> I know. Gonna, the hashtag that today. Anyway, awesome. awesome. I mean, not Well, awesome. I missed you not I mean, being in the studio today. I miss you too. I think that, uh, I think that I'll be back next week. I don't know. I might get trapped in Nevada for a long time with Florence. Come on, Florence. Don't make me get trapped in Nevada. Yeah. Don't do that. Although we'll today see. there was there was a hint of sunshine briefly what are you, on my drive-in. What are you what are, what are you guys hearing there? Is that uh, somebody said Washington's already in a state of emergency? Yeah, so uh latest news is it's going to break west, totally taking out South Carolina and North Carolina. So it's going to go further inland than originally anticipated. Uh, gotcha. Alexandria is already flooded. Oh, crazy. It's just been raining raining. raining we'll see raining, when yep. When this airs on Friday, I don't know, maybe it'll be a whole new scene, but you know, good vibe, just send lots of prayers and good vibes to the folks on the coast down there. It's going to be a big yeah, one. I hope everybody stays safe. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me call in all the way from here in the beautiful Reno mountains. <laughs> oh, it was <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Listen and subscribe to Dame It All to Hell on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, friends. See you next week. <laughs>